Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Uh, hi, I'm Mats Villander, and you are listening to the Tennis Podcast. Well, hello and welcome to the Tennis Podcast, yet another week here in the Tennis Podcast world, and we are safely back from Australia. Catherine has only just returned. Catherine, you're not feeling your best, are you? You only landed about four hours ago. How are you still awake? Are you still awake? I'm still awake because I've got a podcast to record. Uh, Such is my dedication to uh, the Tennis Podcast. I am hanging in there. I'm hugely impressed. Very, very good. And we have lots of tennis to talk about, of course. Uh, Not only do we have uh, an exclusive interview with Andy Murray, uh, recorded just a couple of days ago at the Queen's Club as part of the the launch for the Aegon Championships, which we held a couple of days ago, in glorious sunshine, I should add, Catherine, uh, on a court, uh, a centre court, we did a photo shoot, where it had been under about a foot of snow a week earlier. And there was Andy Murray standing in the sunshine next to the the gleaming Aegon Championships trophy. And he gave us a very nice interview as well and spoke all about uh, the Queen's Club and Wimbledon and and also about Rafael Nadal, who is making his return tonight and uh, who we'll, we'll talk a little bit about later on. That's one of our big talking points. What is your first memory of Rafael Nadal? We'll leave that one to a bit later. And we've got some great contributions from all of uh, all of our listeners on Twitter and some some cracking memories as well. But uh, well, Catherine, the Australian Open suddenly seems a long time ago, doesn't it? It does, doesn't it? Um, yeah, it, it, uh, yeah. It's funny you should say that. I was just thinking that earlier. In fact, that it suddenly is only just just over a week ago we had the final, but it does suddenly seem like a distant memory and that everyone's eyes have uh, have already told well, of course we've had davis cup ties this weekend but everybody's eyes are firmly fixed now on the next few weeks and of course as you know rafa's rafa's return is uh is where tennis is at at the moment that's where yeah. everybody's gaze is is fixed somebody said said earlier today on twitter one of our colleagues matt cronin uh one of the best better best reporters in the u.s uh, on tennis he made the point that you know when, when was the last time somebody created this amount of publicity on a return from an injury of only seven months long, you know, I mean, is it okay. really only seven months? It feels it feels yeah. longer than that. I mean, we, you know, we, we've we, when you think of of other comebacks, you know, we've had people like Kim Kleisters and Justine Enan, but they'd had seasons out of the game, and obviously not for a specific injury. And Martina Hingis, of course, but Nadal's not even been out for a year, and yet, you know, it feels like 
it feels like we've almost forgotten who he who he was you know what he I mean even even when I saw him come out onto the court for the doubles last night and you get this feeling of electricity just Mm. just seeing him seeing him on the tv screen he has that proper I mean I know it's a cliche but he has a rock star appeal he does it's not I think it's also the the nature of his absence there's been a certain amount of um mystery surrounding it and mystery surrounding his return because it's you know this it's tendonitis in his knee. It's not something that he's going to recover from and, and you know, he's ever going to be cured of. It's just a question of, um, I read some quotes from him last night saying, you know, yes, the knee still hurts, but it's it's nonetheless an absolute joy to be back on the court. He's, what he says is that he's he's reached a stage where the doctors have assured him he won't be doing any further damage to it by playing. Yeah. It's not a case of, yeah, the knee's 100%, no worries no worries there at all um so yeah, that's why i guess there have been doubts in people's mind about a whether he would return you know the the more the more neurotic people among us and b whether he would return at the same level you know there's there's so many unknowns surrounding his his absence um i think that's perhaps why there's been so yeah. much intrigue around it and but also he 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 is <sighs> One of those, I think it shows this era in general, not just him, how big a deal these top two are, particularly when I say top two, I know they're not ranked one and two anymore, but Nadal and Federer. And only marginally to a lesser extent, Djokovic and Murray, because they just haven't been around for quite as long and haven't had quite as much impact over such a long time. But the the the, the sort of impact they have as a, as a quartet on the tennis world it just it's I wouldn't say it's unprecedented because I'm sure when when Bjorn Borg retired at 26 it had a seismic effect on tennis and and uh, the the example that Matt Cronin gave that was somewhere near uh, to to Nadal was was when maybe 30 years ago Chris Everts had a had a long injury layoff, you know, and and came back and suddenly resumed the rivalry with with Martin and Navratilova, you know, and and that's that's the thing. I don't think maybe Sampras and Agassi would be the only other one in my proper adult lifetime uh, of, of 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 similarity. But even I mean that's that's not a bad comparison because obviously Agassi had um, that very long absence from the tour where he, he but the nature of that was very different he i think you know there was a certain element of of injury but he he just dropped away completely didn't he he started playing challenges and just clawed his way back to the top gradually and and eventually became an even greater player than he than he had been before yeah. he that's one he of the great away. stories isn't it really yeah and, and i think it brings it into focus because we actually had him in australia didn't we with us and and spent a little bit of time with Andre Agassi, I, I got to interview him actually in, a, in in an interview you'll be able to hear here on the tennis podcast in the weeks to come. I, I did that for the BBC, um, who was who I was out there for, and obviously you were organising all the all the legends' time and and organising uh, the, the sort of uh, requirements for for Andre Agassi over that over that few days. But it really brought it back into focus just what a comeback he'd made because. Mm. You know, I, I, I'll never forget that 1995 Australian Open when he made his first ever appearance at the tournament. I mean, he, you know, there he, he'd been a professional for about eight years and yet he didn't play the Australian Open until 1995 and he won it. And then he, he had a complete 
collapse a few a couple of years later goes down way outside the top 100 and then comes back to win it three more times i mean it, it is it is an amazing story really amazing and given you know taking a close look at what he was doing in that he wasn't actually totally away from the game for very long was he i mean it was just a question of he was he was playing challenger level in futures level tournaments for a long time um, and uh, obviously had total belief in himself that, that he could get back to the top. Um, yeah. And, you know, you mentioned the cliche of, of rock star appeal. That I mean, that was the first time I'd ever met Agassi, and uh, there was certainly a frisson when he walked into the room, wasn't there? Whatever mm, room yeah. he walked into, it's, it's funny. So, so many people that had been so... Um, so professional and and serious or whatever for you know for the whole two weeks of the tournament just you know as soon as Agassi was around it was just people just went to pieces people could, people you know, were swooning in the eyes absolutely yeah they were you know I, I saw um one of the sweetest things I saw um all all fortnight was um on the uh, it must have been the Saturday was it when um when the local guys Matt Ebden and Jamila Guidesover won the uh, won the mixed doubles title um, in Melbourne, which is obviously a huge deal for them, a really nice story. Um, Matt Ebden was in the players' lounge at the same time as Andre Agassi, and he, and he went over and asked him to uh, to sign something for him. It was just it just come off court having having won a, a mixed doubles title, and he was just so overawed with seeing um, seeing Andre Agassi, and it was a really sweet moment. Andre was was quite touched and. Uh, it was just really nice. It was just showed, you know, what an idol he, you know, he's been to to so many people, and um, it was nice to see him around tennis again because he's obviously been, he has stay, he's very much focused on his charity and everything, isn't he? He's completely absorbed in that, and um, yeah, his has, school, of course. Yeah. I, I I think I, I think I held it together quite well when when I interviewed him, didn't I, Catherine? I mean, apart from the fainting. Yeah, you did. Yeah, and that, and that big cheesy photo you asked for me to yeah. take of you with him, obviously. I yeah. didn't do that. Just make sure that everybody knows you're joking, Catherine, because I was a picture of professionalism. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Good. Okay. Uh, right. Well, we'll 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 just have to take my word for it, won't you? Is that is my word that? against yours. That's right. Um, so now. The Davis Cup has been going on over the last uh, the last week, and uh, there have been some storylines coming out of that. A 24-22 final set in the doubles between the Czech Republic and Switzerland. The longest, I think the longest rubber in, in, uh, in Davis Cup history. Seven hours mm. and two minutes. I mean, unbelievable. Oh yeah, incredible. I think that... That has to be the longest rubber, doesn't it, in Davis Cup history? It's I mean, certainly the longest doubles, and I think it is the longest yeah. rubber, actually, yeah, because I think the previous one to that was Valander and, uh, and yes, John McEnroe. Yes, yes. Yeah, they'll be annoyed that that, that, that um, record's been taken from them. Matt's, I remember, <laughs> can't remember the context, but he mentioned that not long ago, that he, that was one of the records he still held. Um, yeah, that's that's one of those um, stats that takes your breath away. Really, you can't really imagine that ever being repeated. But you know, never say never. Yeah, and, and actually, a couple of things that that struck me coming out of that tie. One is that there's poor old Stanislas Vavrinka on the end of another sort of last <laughs> yeah. gasp, devastating defeat. And the other one is that Thomas Burdich again has come up trumps. You know, he 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 has proved that. 
when he really needed to, he could, he could produce. And um, I mean, he you know he's won that doubles alongside Lucas Russell, and then he came out in the fourth rubber and won the tie for the Czech Republic against Vavrinka, you know, in Switzerland. I mean, you know, I just wonder, I just wonder whether Burdich might just be able to use this as the springboard. I know we've talked about this before. Yeah. I mean, he certainly certainly proved himself in Davis Cup. Absolutely. I feel like he's got a nerve um, and a, a metal about him in Davis Cup rubbers that he that I don't see in him um, in, in the crunch stages of you know the big Grand Slam matches. I mean, it, it, I think you're quite right. There's every chance it could translate into his um, individual career, as it has with Djokovic and Tipsarovic and everything. But we didn't see it in evidence at the Australian Open, to my mind. So it's it's yet to be seen. Yeah, still, I, for me, I, I really I really do think. You know, sooner or later. I mean, listen, the guy's already been in Grand Slam final, you know, so it's not like he hasn't done it. But uh, but I just think maybe his best is still to come. And uh, and I, I do think it can be the Davis Cup that provides that springboard. Um, a couple of other cracking uh, storylines coming out of the uh, the Davis Cup. One was the, the way the, the United States were too... Zero up against uh, Brazil, and ended up having to go to a fifth rubber. I mean, imagine, mm. imagine how nervous Sam Query must have been thinking, feeling when he came out and uh, and lost a set early on. Uh, well, I'm sure those guys would have been assuming that the uh, the Bryans would do the business for them, and, yeah. and it wouldn't have to go down to the the fourth and fifth rubbers. That's certainly what they'd have been expecting. Um, so yeah, that was a real. Uh, Real shocker that one. Yeah, but anyway, Sam Quarry got over the finish line in the end. I mean, credit to him for that. And then, uh, and Canada beat Spain. Goodness me, that's amazing, isn't it? Yeah, that's one of those real standout, standout results. I think it also. I yeah. mean, I, I I know that I know that Spain had not exactly got the first team out. No, but, but you certainly don't. It, it, Canada is not. A nation that you think of as a tennis nation, is it? And um, but yet they are, you know, they've got a good good doubles pairing. They're 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 building something. It definitely feels like they're a nation that, that's building something. You know, they've got a great men's and women's event, Montreal and, and Toronto, which alternate um, every year, obviously. And and it does feel like they could be a a force, or or certainly more of a force in the future. Well, Ryanic is dangerous. We know that. And then they've got Dancevic. I think it's how he's, how you say it. I mean, who who is for years managed to qualify at tournaments and beat good players. You know, he's mm. got the talent. He's very flashy. You know, mm. and he, he's fun to watch. I mean, so and and I think also that that resu- that-, that result does show what home yes. advantage can do for you, doesn't it? Absolutely, and those those flashy players you mentioned do tend to sometimes be the ones that that do rise to the occasion of De- Davis Cup. The players with sort of low percentage, but um, yeah, low percentage, high risk games that you know with adrenaline and an amazing partisan crowd behind them, everything goes in rather than going out like with Lu- Lucas Russell uh, under the roof at Wimbledon yeah. um, earlier this year. So. Um, 
yeah, that's good Good for him, is all I can say. Today. Yeah, good for him. absolutely. Well, I mean, it'll be interesting to see whether Canada can go on and, and build on that in the, in the, uh, in the next round. And, and the United States have got Serbia. So, I mean, you know, we, we're in for a, a really good Davis Cup week, I think, in April. I think it's going to be quite something that... Um, I was thinking earlier on, uh, something we'll come back to in, future, in a future episode. I'd love to speak to Tim Henman and Jim Courier about the, the, the Davis Cup tie between yeah. GB and, uh, and the States uh, at some point in that one it was about 12, 13 years ago and, and it was just electric and uh, I know Andy Murray's not playing the, uh, the, 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 the next tie for, the, for Great Britain and I, and I can understand why he wants to give clay court season a proper go he obviously hasn't got a, a Greg Rosetsky the way that Tim Henman had so his chances are, of, of of getting to that level are, are less mm. but I, I do feel that I, I or I just hope uh, at some point in in Andy Murray's career he gets to sample that kind of tie because I think he'd love it I think he'd absolutely love it and on the subject of uh, of Andy Murray I think before we get on to the Nadal uh, first memories, which is what we've put out on Twitter, is and asking asking for uh, everybody's view, memories of Nadal and the first time they ever remember seeing him. Should we should we hear from Andy Murray, Catherine? Should we have a little chat with him? Why the heck not? Let's Why do not? it. Well, Andy Murray was um, at the Queen's Club with us a couple of days ago, as I said, and uh, it was very early to be thinking about grass court tennis, but it just goes to show how rarely Andy Murray is going to be in the United Kingdom over the next three or four months that we 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 did our official launch of the 2013 Aegon Championships with Murray who's won the title twice before um at Queen's on Monday and uh, and he spoke to the to the the press and uh, and did some television interviews and he very kindly spoke to us here on the tennis podcast as well well Andy obviously a disappointing final result for you in the end at the Australian Open but if you think back to when you were last sitting in this chair 12 months ago or so, a, a lot's gone well. T- talk a little bit about it. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, really from Wimbledon last year, my, you know, my results of, you know, on the big events have, have been as good as I, I would have hoped, really. I mean, you know, you can't win all of the, the big matches, but, you know, to get to play in a Wimbledon final, an Olympic final, US Open final, and then the Australian Open final, I think I gained a lot of experience um, because of that and, you know, an understanding of of what it takes physically and mentally um, to play with that, that consistency in the, the big event. So, I mean, it's been, been the best seven, eight months of my tennis career and I'll try and continue. What's it been like for you the last sort of week since getting back home do you replay the final in your head at all do you do you, do you think much about it uh, a couple of days afterwards yeah I mean I mean you try I mean it's a long way back uh, from from Australia it's a long flight um, so there's time to think there um, you know but you you try and look at the, the tournament really as a whole um, as much as you can and you know a lot goes into it with the training and stuff that you do in December to prepare for it so uh, it's disappointing not to come away with the result that you'd want, but um, it's been it was a good start to the year. I mean, you know, I, I won against Roger for the first time in, in a Grand Slam and, and five sets and a tough, tough match. Um, you know, and I, I won the tournament in Brisbane to start the year, so it was it was a good start to to my year. Not the perfect start, but um, you know, I think I can build on it. 
In many ways, this is where your pro career began, isn't mm-hmm. it? Your first match win was here, and it's you've got quite a quite a history here at this tournament. What yeah. does it mean to you? Yeah, it's. I mean, I like you said, I played my first match here. Um, I used to come and watch. Um, I watched Queens a couple of times when you know I was here playing the juniors at Wimbledon. Uh, I played the junior competition when they they had it here as well. Um, and yeah, I have loads of great memories from here. I used to come. Uh, train here as well when the National Tennis Centre was here. Um, you know, I'm winning winning the title here a couple of times was was great as well. To win a, a tournament on home soil it's uh it feels feels good. So always got good memories from here and I enjoy coming back. It's it's been really good preparation for me for Wimbledon and hope it's the same again this year. And how big I mean obviously every year Wimbledon is a big goal, but what, what what are your thoughts when you think about it? How much do you look forward to trying for the title again and going one better? Yeah, I always look forward to. It. I mean, it's I mean, it's an exciting few weeks. It's you know, all of the Grand Slams are special for different reasons, and I think everyone would know why Wimbledon would be would be special to to me. But you know, last year I think um, you know I started to. Uh, on started to understand and appreciate the history maybe more and more each year that, that I played there and to get to play in a final there um, was great um, I'm a member there now so I spend a little bit more time uh, at Wimbledon and you know I just said last year you know I'd go and sit and you know just sit out and, and look at the centre court when when it was empty and you know the, the tournament means means a lot to me and um, yeah I always look forward to it Final question for me: um, Rafael Nadal makes his return this this week. How, how much has the game missed him, and do you think he can be a force again? Uh, the game misses him for sure because of what what he brings to the court. Um, he's he's one of the best athletes that's, that's played. He's one of the most competitive players I think that's played, and well, he he's one of the greatest players that's ever played um, the sport. So. Yeah, I mean, I think when when he's out, you're obviously going to miss miss something. His rivalry with uh, with Roger has been one of the best our, our sports ever had. So, um, yeah, I mean, it'll be great when when he comes back. I hope it doesn't take him uh, too long to get back to playing his best tennis because I think before he got injured, um, you know, tennis has has been in been in a great great spot. Um, there's been a lot of great matches. You know the, the players right at the top of the game with Roger and Rafa, two of the best players ever, and obviously Novak's had you know an incredible few years. So you know if we can get Rafa back and hopefully gets back to his best game um, as soon as possible, that's that's good for tennis. So that's Andy Murray, Catherine, and uh, he he has great affection for for the Aegon Championships at Queens, and you can understand why. I mean, who who will ever forget that sight of that eighteen year old? basically collapsing on the court with cramp against uh, Thomas Johansson. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. 
For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. This edition of the Tennis Podcast is sponsored by Tennis Channel, and Tennis Channel Plus is the place to watch the French Open. They've got every court live, and you can watch on your phone or your smart TV, both in HD. Matt, this sounds like your kind of thing. Yeah, there's nothing I like more than watching multiple courts with matches everywhere, dipping in to where there's the latest final set tie break, or even the latest bit of aggro. And David, don't worry, you can just watch your favourite court, Suzanne Longlen, all day if you want. But whatever you choose, the French Open promises unforgettable moments and new chapters in tennis history. Do you know, I think in a lot of ways, the French Open is now my favourite slam. It's the strategy of the clay court tennis, the way it challenges players, and particularly now with legends of the game up against a new generation of young players. I cannot wait. Be there when it happens with daily live coverage beginning on Monday, May the 20th. Subscribe to Tennis Channel Plus to stream daily coverage of Roland Garros. Use promo code TENNISPOD20 for 20% off your annual subscription. And then still standing up and hitting extraordinary serves. You know, I think, Mm. I think, you know, it was clear, wasn't it, then that this guy has got something a bit different. I mean, a proper competitor a great talent and and as Thomas Johansson said to us somebody that is absolutely guaranteed to be in the top 20 one day absolutely it's a very genuine affection he has for Queens isn't it you know when he talks about how he he's a member then I've seen he sometimes just goes and sits uh, on the center court and sort of comp- contemplate no that was a, that was at Wimbledon Oh, that was a Wimbledon. Yeah, well, anyway. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, sorry, my brain's a bit uh, jet-lagged. Are you a bit jet-lagged, Catherine? at the moment. Yeah, I am a bit. Sorry. Um, but, I mean, but I mean, the, the you know, the let's try and rescue this. The, the grass courts in general, you know, and Queen's, there's definite affection there um, because he... Uh, got his first ATP tour win there and uh, and then he that was against Taylor Dent I believe No it, that his first win was against Santiago Ventura of Spain then he beat Taylor Dent in the then second round Then he beat Taylor That's Dent right. wow. Almost Catherine. How- Fantastic, remember? Almost. On, on a good day I would have got that I promise you tennis <laughs> podcast listeners. Um yeah, and uh, he's he won it twice, obviously, and it's a it's a place. It's hard not to, if you've got good memories of it. It's a place that's hard not to to have some sort of emotional connection to, isn't it? It's not. I know we're biased, but it's not just another tournament. It does no. feel it does have a wonderful atmosphere, and um, I can only imagine what it feels like to actually lift that amazing trophy there. Do you, do you know, Catherine? I actually did lift it two days ago because I had to give it wow. to Andy Murray to hold. So, but I, did you I, lift it aloft? Oh yeah. If you, oh yeah. There's only, <laughs> there's only me in the room. Uh, but I, but I mean, I thought you know. When else am I going to be standing holding a trophy that has been held aloft by John McEnroe, Jimmy Connors and Stefan Edberg and and, uh, Boris Becker and Pete Sampras and Leighton Hewitt and Andy Roddick and and Andy Murray? So I thought, right, 
tennis uh, Aegon Championships winner of never in a million years is David Law. Did you etch your name into the uh, into the plaque as I, well? I just took one of those sort of temporary marker pens <laughs> and just wrote it on the the trophy, and then quickly nice. quickly scrubbed it off. Yeah. Nice, that's classy. Yeah, it is, isn't it? Uh, but uh, uh, it is actually nice to hear hear the way Murray's evolved in his views of, um, of of Wimbledon as well, isn't it? I mean, he's got, you know, he really gets it now. I mean, I think I, I remember the first time I ever heard Andy Murray interviewed was just after he'd won the U.S. Open Juniors, and he was quite critical of Wimbledon as a in terms of how they looked after juniors compared to the U.S. Open, mm. and um, and I think he's just it shows how he's matured and and I think he, he really I mean and, and also I think Wimbledon has moved with the times there I think that's the other thing to say yeah I think I think perhaps Wimbledon is a tournament that it, it requires a bit of maturity to appreciate you know US Open's far more sort of heart on the sleeve and brash and you can see how it would appeal more to a to a 17 year old you know and and how Wimbledon Maybe takes a few years to for you to fully appreciate, you know, all the nuances of the tradition there and everything. And maybe it just all seems a bit fusty when you're a feisty young seventeen-year-old yeah, coming up. So, right um, there, yeah. so yeah, I think that's a good point. It is a, a good sign of his maturity. Spe- and, he spe- um, speaks very well about Nadal, doesn't he? I mean, you know, there's, there's genuine affection there. I think, and uh, and I think, you know rather than thinking oh Nadal's out of the picture <laughs> this could help me yeah you know I think that rubbing his hands the, together there's almost a sort of feeling of it would mean more if he's around as well and, and also I think there's there's the there's the greater good of the game at stake and and that's something that I think all all of those top four players really appreciate is that is that the game is is something they care about not just their yeah. place in it but but that they and, you know all the players at the top at the moment they're they're classy they're classy guys aren't they they're classy guys that really get it they don't they don't want to have success in spite of anything you know murray doesn't want to achieve world number 1 or you know win grand slams in spite of 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 you know because nadal's not there you know they they want to have earned everything you know it's such an unbelievably competitive um, and special era. You know, everybody wants to feel like they're there because they deserve to be. Um, and um, as you say, I think an appreciation of of the good of, of the game in general is, is a major factor as well. They all know that Nadal is hugely important to to the sport and how people see it and people's interest in it. And, and this does seem to be an era of, of rivalries. Um, and, you know, Federer, perhaps he's not quite what he was a few years ago, but I, there's still some there's still some matches left oh, in the Federer and Fe- Nadal Federer, rivalry, Federer, without doubt. Federer is still going to do some damage somewhere. He's, yeah. he's going to ruin one of the other players' hopes of the slam and he's going to get himself to another slam final. I'm, I'm just convinced he is. Um, right, well, Nadal, what is your first ever memory of Nadal? First, I think I remember him playing. Did he get beaten by? Now, I, I've, I've. This is without the aid of Google. This is. I'm trying to do a genuine memory here rather than 
looking on Google to try and verify that it is a real memory rather than imagined memory. Do I remember him being beaten by Andy Roddick one year at the you US do. Open, perhaps when he yes, was you do. 16 or you 17? Do that. Absolutely. I remember I remember being in New York when, when that happened and and I I was sort of aware of Nadal because I think it might even been the year that that I first became aware of him because I remember him him beating Mario Ancic at Wimbledon in the first round, the year after Ancic had beaten Federer. And, you know, I, I, I was aware of Nadal. I'd, I'd sort of heard his name and seen seen some of the match results that he'd got. But, uh, and then I was quite disappointed. I remember being quite disappointed when he ended up losing so heavily to, to Roddick at the US Open. But it yeah. just showed how far he'd still got to come on that surface, really, to be competitive, because he was still, he was so far behind the baseline against Roddick, and he was just getting dominated, even the, even though he was exciting to watch. And I mean, that was the first time he looked like a man, I remember, you know, because before that he'd looked like a boy, and suddenly he unveiled mm. the sleeveless shirt, and I mean, the the Incredible Hulk had arrived, and, and the, <laughs> you know, the crowd was sort of just... just gasping at the physique of the guy but he did but mm. it didn't translate into to the way he hit the ball on a hard court and that obviously took some time no. to come and another thing i remember is a couple of matchups in his very early career he had against carlos moya which yeah. uh was a were was a lovely story because obviously Carlos was such a huge mentor to him for for many many years and and the the I love the the mirror thing of you know Rafa being a lefty despite in in the rest of his life you know he writes with his right hand and everything and Moya is the exact mm. opposite isn't he he's a he's right plays tennis right handed and otherwise in life he's a he's a left-hander um and that's there's a beautiful sort of symmetry to that and i think i remember the first time they came up against one another moya won and then i i think again correct me if i'm wrong i think i remember a changing of the guard match somewhere on the european hard courts possibly monte carlo somewhere like that um uh, where Rafa was yeah, the victor, I, I and right. it very much felt like a passing of the I baton. Right. Um, and I remember a, you know, a very special embrace at the net between the two of them. And you know, Moya knew, Moya probably knew, you know, back when Rafa was twelve or something that that he would turn out to be. You know, maybe he didn't know just how great he'd be, but I'm sure he knew that that he was something special from a very yeah. early age. So um, those are my early significant Rafa memories. Do, do you know my like. first ever memory of him was that uh, I, I remember it was shortly after I'd heard about Richard Gasquet for the first time and they were the same sort of age, both precocious. And Nadal was written on the draw sheet as Rafael Nadal Pereira, which was, uh, which oh, was a, right, yeah. a sort of second part of the name and uh, which was quickly quickly taken off uh, because they do I, I don't know why exactly I assume it just wasn't quite as marketable uh, but uh, <laughs> but um, uh, I, I remember that and and then I also recall I think he beat Albert Costa uh, when Costa was you know defending French Open champion and one of our one of our 
Twitter followers, um, one of our podcast listeners, Antonio Serrano, is the one who's actually reminded me of this. He, he said, first time was when he beat the defending ch- champion Albert Costa in Monaco in 2003. Rafa was 17, and he hasn't lost in Monte Carlo since. <laughs> God, that's amazing, I haven't it? checked that stat, but I think he's right. Because I I, I'm not sure, I mean, you know, it's just unbelievable. But uh, great memory. That's Antonio. incredible. Uh, but uh, and and that did yeah. jog my memory to that as well. We got we got some other good ones here, Catherine. Uh, Suda Random says the Wimbledon final in two thousand and seven. I wasn't rooting for anybody at the start, but when Nadal lost, I was so upset, and I've supported him ever since. And I think a lot. I think that final did win a lot of other sort of neutrals over yeah. because he was so close in that final to beating Federer. Uh, it's the one without the roof on, if you remember, because the um, the roof was being built and they'd got that top layer of the stadium off off at the time. No, I thought 2008 was the one without the no, roof on. No, no, no. They, they, they hadn't finished it in uh, 2008, but they'd rebuilt that part right. of the that part of it. Yes. But it, yeah, because the first year with the roof. Fully completed correct, was two thousand and nine. But in 07, it? Yeah. it was just a, it was just almost U.S. Open like it was just a bowl. Right. Um, yes. Yeah. And then uh, we have here. Uh, let's see. We have Jens Gregan who says I watched him for one set in two thousand and four against Asioni at the Australian Open in the first round. I should have stayed for longer than that one set. <laughs> oh dear, it's a regret, but you know, there we are. Uh, Joe Tipson uh, says, before he won Roland Garros at Rome in 2005, I saw him in the first round against Victor Hanescu on an outside court. It was so packed that it was hardly possible to find a space to sit. Yeah, I, can, I can relate to that. AJD says the 2005 Roland Garros semi-final. I'd never heard of him, and I was surprised to see Roger Federer losing. Of course, that was when Rafa won his first one, and and they had that that great. I think it was a four-set match, and it was really good fun, Um, really entertaining match. And then, of course, Nadal went on to win the whole thing. Uh, The Wimbledon third round on his debut in 2003 says Mario. Uh, Leonshu, uh, I thought this kid was going to be special, but never did I think how special. And did you know, Catherine, I, I've discovered today that a man that uh, Nadal beat in that Wimbledon in 2003, as well as beating Mario Ancic, he also beat Lee Childs, a British player with a massive serve, Gosh. who I saw yesterday or two days ago at the Queen's Club. He's now one, he's now one of the main coaches there. Uh, so I think we're going we're oh, to have right. to go and interview Lee Childs about the day he played. Yeah, Rafael I remember Nadal. Lee Childs. We're going to have to yeah. go and find Lee and, uh, and get him on. Uh, we've got Rian, who says Miami in 2004, uh, when he beat Federer. I thought it was 2005, but maybe I'm wrong. Uh, when he beat Federer and thinking, who is this kid with the weird clothes beating Fed? A theme <laughs> that continued for a few more years. Uh, yeah, I uh, bet. Yeah. MJ Hilliard, Wimbledon 2005. I remember thinking this guy will never win on grass. <laughs> and and, when, and oh, wondered dear. why he kept pulling his shorts out of his bum. <laughs> yeah, we're all still wondering that. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, David Shepard uh, says he remembers seeing him play at Wimbledon uh, in doubles with Feliciano Lopez. And... Uh, 
and he was looking to get grass court experience, and boy, did it pay off. You're not wrong there. Uh, Gosh, yeah. Giovanna Macari says the Wimbledon final in 2008. What a match! And so happy Nadal won. Yeah, well, we all remember that. Um, we have uh, the, this one I really like is uh, is from uh, Andrew Castle, our uh, colleague who uh, appeared at the end of last year on the tennis podcast and is one of the top tennis commentators on the BBC. And he says, Catherine, that when he first saw. Rafael Nadal, he had a feeling of of shock and awe, uh, having seen him move for the first time. You know, in the commentary box, we're sort of court level, and uh, and he saw him move in front of him in a way that he just he'd not really seen that before. And he went back to the commentary sort of commentators' room where they all hang out and and just bored everybody rigid with what he'd just seen. But he he does have that wow. sort of effect on you, doesn't he? Yeah, he does. I I'm just struggling to remember now when I first saw him in the flesh. I think it must have been at a Wimbledon in, I'm thinking possibly 2005 or 2006, something like that. And yeah, I remember. I mean, by that point, he had already, you know, proved himself to a certain extent. He wasn't, you know, a total newbie on the tour, but um, but he hadn't. Uh, I suppose he must have won a couple of... But he certainly hadn't proved himself on grass by that stage. And I was still, you know, pretty blown away by by seeing the ferocity of his of his game up close, I suppose. And um, that's a good point, actually, about the, seeing him move up close and you really appreciate, you know, the the intricacy of his movement and, um, and, and just everything that goes into making a game of that power, I suppose... Um, it's it's more than just brute force, yeah. isn't it? It's uh, yeah, it's quite something to behold. Uh, Ian Warren from Melbourne says uh, he saw Rafa play against Leighton Hewitt in 2005 on Rod Laver Arena. That was the year that uh, Leighton reached the final uh, round four, and he lost in five sets. But he was so excited with what he'd seen. I, I remember that as well because that was so sort of raw that match between those two they, they were both wearing sleeveless shirts it was a muscular match and you know it was it was it was almost unpleasant to watch just how much they were putting mm. each other through I, I, I remember thinking it's possibly uh, not for de- but if there is a better competitor in tennis than Rafa Nadal if it's a big if then it would probably be Leighton Hewitt. I, I, yeah, I mean, I know what you mean. I, I'd say Nadal is the player that deals with disappointments in a match better than any I've ever seen. You know, he he, yes. he he just brushes them off and gets on with the next point better than... Mm, that's, I, I've that's never seen anybody... Point, yeah. de- you know, he doesn't have a hangover, it seems to me, from one point to the next, no matter how difficult the situation may be. Uh, Elizabeth Fisher, after practising pre his first Roland Garros win... I had he had time for, for for photos with everybody. So relaxed despite the pressure of expectation. Yeah, I mean I think he is fantastic with with fans. I mean I think he's 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 brilliant actually. We've seen him at, at close quarters before with people, and he is he's really good with people. Um, the Davis Cup uh, says Simon Ward uh, with Nadal and Seville beating Roddick. Oh yeah, I remember that one. That was a bit bit tasty. Mm. Um, but um, Piers Newbury, our colleague on, on the BBC, reminds us of that match uh, that he saw on, on Court 13 with Nadal and Lee Charles, the one we referenced earlier. That's the, that's who, the man who jogs my memory, actually, reading his article on that. He showed, he showed us an article on it. 
Um, but everybody's got a memory, haven't they, of, uh, of Rafael Nadal? I mean, he is that kind of player. He's he him and Federer and and probably Djokovic and to some degree Murray. You know, they are where were you when the day you first saw them? And I think Nadal maybe more than any other because. He was a bit Becker-like, the way he just sort of burst onto the scene and 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 just lit up the court. You know, it it took Federer. It, it was a bit more of a slow burner, really. I think. And uh, uh, but Nadal just had that 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 effect. He was just he, he's electric. Yeah, like a a ball of fire emerging on the tennis. He's got very such a different game to Federer that you can see. What I mean, he he had the physique. Um, he had, you know, he had that from a very young age, and he? he didn't need to do too much no. growing into his his body. You know, even as a as a seventeen year old, he still had that incredible. He just looked so strong for a seventeen year old. Um, so I suspect that's had a lot to do with with why he was able to make an impact, such an impact, so early in his career. I've just I've just had a memory of him. Um, all those recollections there have just jogged my memory that it was he who ended Andre Agassi's uh, Wimbledon oh, career, yeah, right. wasn't it? The yeah, third round, right. yeah. No, and I remember Agassi saying that that he knew that he was leaving the sport at the right time when he lost that match because, mm. and he, he kind of alluded to this at the Australian Open the other week, didn't he? Where he said, you know, I'd, I'd attack Nadal and I'd take it to him and I'd hit my, I'd drill my backhand cross court, my signature shot to his forehand to make him late on the ball, which is what I'd been planning to do. So it would sit up for me. But the thing is, he'd hit it with such a weird, funky spin that it would come off the racket. It would only land half over the court, but it would bounce up yeah. at some weird angle and, and just totally out yeah, of his hitting and zone. Not, not, yeah. And suddenly you realise, actually, I'm in his web. He's not in mine. <laughs> Yeah, that that must be an awful yeah. feeling. That realization that you're completely impotent against a player, um, and I suspect Nadal has made a fair few people feel yes, that way no, over I the years. Yes, I suspect you're right there. Um, I wonder whether he's on the court yet because he's due to play tonight, isn't he? And uh, in his big uh, singles comeback, he is on court. Here we are, 2013, wow. uh, the VTR Open in Vina del Mar and Rafael Nadal. I know this is old news to you if you're listening to the tennis podcast. You're thinking it's already over, but we're excited because he's at 4-3 up in the first set against Federico Del Bonis, somebody I've never heard of before. Uh, but uh, isn't that great? It's nice, nice, nice seeing his name yeah. back on a, a no, it really sheet, is. Isn't it? it really is. So we'll uh, we'll follow his progress with interest, of course, here on the tennis podcast, and we'll no doubt talk about him in next week's edition, and we'll be able to reflect on how he's done, and we'll have more big interviews. We've got some great interviews coming up over the next few weeks, Catherine. Now I've got um, I've still got my Sue Barker interview to put out, which is one of my favourite interviews we've ever done. We've got uh, Tim Henman we've spoken to. We've uh, we've spoken to Sloane Stevens. I've got Andre Agassi. We've got John McEnroe, Mark Rosse. We've got uh, some, some great interviews to come, haven't we? It's going to be great. Yeah, I'm excited yeah. about those. Right, you haven't heard any of them yet, have you? <laughs> apart from, apart from the Tim right, Henman no. one, which you did, and uh, one or two of the others that you've done as well. But Of course, Tim yeah, was, was good, wasn't fun. he? Yeah, we should look, yeah he yeah, was great we'll look value. forward to that. And thank you all for listening to us here on the Tennis Podcast, and we'll talk to you again soon. 
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 